Thanks for listening to the Lunch and Learn with Dr. Barry, here to help educate, motivate, and put you on the right path to take control of your health through weekly discussions on topics in the medical field, public health arena, and in your community. And now your host, Dr. Barry. All right, welcome to another episode of Medicine Mondays. And yes, fix fix your eyes. We do have a special guest this year. Like obviously, this is gonna be the first guest, first guest of the year 2023. And I just knew that obviously I just could not come regular to you guys. I know how y'all do, I know the high standards y'all got for me. So I was doing my thing. I was doing my thing on social media, scrolling across, and I watched this video of a person who says, Hey, you know what? I'm in school right now, but guess what I'm focusing on? Misinformation and disinformation. Y'all, when I tell y'all, like, I almost dropped my phone. Like, I almost dropped my phone. I said, whoa, like, this is a person I need to know. Where has she been all my life? Like, this is a person, like, because that's what I'm here for. And especially because this, this is on TikTok. And if you don't follow me on TikTok, make sure you follow me on TikTok. If you're on my TikTok, one of my first primary videos is, hey, I'm just here to fight misinformation, disinformation, because it's running wild, right? So first of all, let me pause and say, Evan, thank you for joining uh, this week's episode of Medicine Mondays. Very glad to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to talk about and discuss all of the things related to this in medicine. <laughs> so I want to, obviously, I, I got, I'm going to have your stuff in the, the description, but I like to give my my guests kind of their time to say, like, all right, who, who, who's Evan? Who's Evan Thorberg? Like, who, who am I? And, uh, you know, why am I, am I special in these streets right here? Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I go by Evan, the bioethicist on TikTok, uh, and I love my focus of my thesis because I started and am ending grad school in the pandemic. Uh, I went for bioethics, specifically the specialized urban bioethics program at Temple University. Um, I work in public health. So this is where the dichot. So I did all these things in the pandemic, right? I am working in public health. I mainly focus on HIV, but I did work on COVID and vaccine distribution um, and some monkey pox, but not enough to like have super expertise in it. Um, and then uh, while being in the pandemic and in the house, there was so much access to education and I had so much time <laughs> uh, that I went to school and I went to the Lewis Katz School of Medicine um, in the urban bioethics program and have finished the thesis and I graduate in less than like three weeks. Um, so I, I, I can confidently say <laughs> more and more I'm a bioethicist. So that's a, my background, but it's very unique to have been doing all those things during COVID-19 and the height of both communications technology and a huge global medical threat. Mm -hmm. um, and the big thing that you and I both know, which we, cause we're all both on social media is how much misinformation, disinformation and conspiracy theories have really taken hold of the pandemic uh, and created, first of all, millionaires. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. And second of sure. all, have, yeah. I, have, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people made some money. Made some money. And how it has changed unequivocally how we think about communicating in medicine and communicating, even thinking about or understanding like like science literacy and health literacy. So, yeah, that's that's kind of all of that mashed together. What, what was it about bioethics that initially drew you? Now, was it just because kind of obviously kind of the. The, the, the time period it in and especially because and I, I've said this before on social media, if I could go back 
And, and you know, lunch learning members, you, as you heard, she's a public health. So y'all know how I feel. I'm team public health here. If I could go back, I would love to be in the public health, especially learning and get my master's back in public health during a pandemic like this, uh, or even being a medical student and having to kind of go through that process again during a pandemic. So what was it about bioethics that kind of drew you in uh, initially? Well, I, first of all, I, I love medicine as the world. I was pre-med and undergrad. Um, unfortunately, I just don't do very good in bio. I didn't do, I was not going to go on to organic chem after I didn't do well in bio. Um, I had originally, most of my life plan had been around being a forensic entomologist. So hmm. I had planned to go into forensics and then ultimately specialize in insect and insect um, activity in human form, in a uh, human health. Um but wow. that got really okay. derailed. That's, a, that's definitely a first. That's a first on our show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was consumed from like the age of eight. I was certain of it. I was actually really crestfallen when it just like didn't, the the competitiveness of the medical world, which is a whole other conversation, um, because oh, yeah. I felt like I couldn't compete because I couldn't get the straight A because I couldn't be the valedictorian. I was basically told by all the pre-med advisors like this is a waste of your time you can't th- you can't do this hmm. um especially as a you know a black <laughs> you know and, like 19 year old person it's so unfortunate to hear because that is such a common story for us especially for many who diverge that there's usually someone who's like a supposed to be a guidance counselor or something in that range who says eh, you, sh- you should go the other way like you you don't meet the initial check boxes go somewhere else so that it always always tough to hear that. Sorry to break your concentration. I know you're probably knee deep into today's episode, but do not forget, check out our Lunch and Learn community store, shop.drbarrypierre.com. Remember to use the code EMPOWER10 and make sure you are leaving us a five-star review, especially on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Now back to your regularly scheduled podcast. Yeah. And I mean, I I understand. And I still think that that reality rings true. I think the system needs to start to look at other factors other than someone's ability to get an A. I mean, someone's ability to like comprehend and apply their information, like Uh recalling it and applying it are two different worlds. But, you know, um, so and then my grandmother, uh, my mother's from Atlanta, Georgia. My grandmother was one of the first black nurses formally in an integrated hospital in Atlanta, Georgia. So medicine has kind of always got a background in my home um, because we just, you know, we love care. And I realized more and more that I liked population health or public health because I think it's so interesting, the science of how people behave and how people experience things like communicable disease. Um, So I don't regret what happened because I I don't, I think that having to do medicine one-on-one, especially in things like a residency, I I think if I hadn't bombed as early as I did, I probably would have bombed in something like a residency because I just would have not been overly invested because it wasn't the part that I was interested in. But a lot of time, like when I was, because I ended up getting a deal MPH, and I tell people all the time, my MPH degree makes me lifetimes a better physician because it just it just would not allow me to focus on the patient just in front of me. 
Like I would think like, okay, all right, I see what this patient is dealing with, but all right, what about the community this patient come from? What about the culture that the patient derives from? Like I, like it would just constantly have me going further and further and further. And, and it just wouldn't allow me to kind of focus on the one. I think that's why I got into social media in the first place. Cause like, I just, I just did not feel complete if the only person I was talking to was a person in my office. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's what I love about population and public health. I love that. And I do think it makes people a better physician ultimately, right? Because you're not just saying like, you need to take this medication. You're thinking about like, well, what factors in their home might keep them from being able to take a medication? Mm-hmm. What factors about their ability to get to this office or get to their um, the provider, like how they acquire the medication? Are they able to get to that space consistently? You just ask yourselves about environment, which is such a key component because what we learn in bioethics is nobody wants to be sick. There's not one person on this planet who wants to be sick. (laughs) Even people, and I think this is where like the conversation is so important for me as a bioethicist around misinformation, why I felt very compelled to to specialize in it um, is because I was like, if people don't, if nobody wants to be sick, then why are people choosing a path that makes them or puts them at risk or makes them sick? So that's what Ooh. I want to, you know what I mean? Like Ooh. what makes them do that? That's a, oh, that's a big question. That's, um, I like that. Bio, bioethics is so intriguing because you really are just kind of like, you're learning about the application of medicine insofar as you need to understand how people make decisions, both populations and even in like in medical like uh, professionals. Because that's the other question, too. The, the one question that I asked just now was, what makes, makes somebody choose something that would make them sick? But then also, what would make a medical professional choose to give people information that makes them sick? Mm-hmm. And so these are the things mm-hmm. that I like being able to extrapolate is these conversations. I don't want to talk about, and this isn't minimizing it, this is just my interest. I don't really want to talk about like, the different styles of femur breaks like it just just doesn't appeal to me <laughs> i get i'm like my, my leg is broken okay you know like move along um so that that really sciencey part of it it's the social science for me and so as a bioethicist the social science is the thing that captivates me uh case studies captivate me uh the communi- medical communication captivates me so i think that's why and then decision making like how do we make decisions it's the science of decision making with like medical anthropology sprinkled in there and like, you know, and narrative medicine and like a lot of cool things come together. Hey, what's up, everybody? It is yours truly, Dr. Barry Pierre with another commercial break for the Lunch and Learn community members. If you've been asking, hey, you know what, what can I do to get more involved with the Lunch and Learn community? What can I do to get more involved with Dr. Barry? I got something for you. This year, we have launched the Lunch to Learn Patreon community, where you get access to a private Discord, access to live Q&As. Depending on the tier you select, you can even become a producer on the show and choose your next topic that you want to hear and even suggest guests. So I want you to do right now after listening to this episode, of course, is join me at drbarrypierre.com slash Patreon. Check out the different tiers and join me in our private discord today you know what what i love about that and i I definitely want to kind of touch touch base on that is really this focus of communication and and you you touched best on it where you know when it's good it works great 
But when you have these factors, especially with biotech, especially biotechnology, and you have this aspect of health communication, and we've seen, unfortunately, especially really kind of amplify over these past couple of years, what happens when that process uh, isn't optimal or just isn't working or more, uh, even worse, in fact, um, is doing what it's supposed to do, but spreading information that just isn't really true. Like, how, mm-hmm. how do you typically, how do you wrap around? And obviously, I know you, I know we got about th- five weeks before you graduate, but like, how do you kind of wrap around uh, th- this understanding of how health communication has been used for good, but unfortunately for bad? Um, well, so there's a longstanding history. I think the other thing that's unique in this is that there are so few bioethicists of color. Um, I could probably name them all because of how wow. uh, in con- how first of all, bioethics is such an obscure, it's a newer science in medicine. Um, and it, you know, it comes along from the Nuremberg trials um, in 19, the 1940s, 1950s, late 1940s, 1950s. So in terms of medicine, it's very new, this concept of like, we need to look at an entire area of expertise that understands decision-making. Um, on top of that, it's not something that you inform when we talk about medicine, I think, especially in communities of color, when we talk about any sort of form of expertise, we kind of boil it down to the most prestigious and most known or understandable components. So like doctor, lawyer, nurse, mm-hmm. we know those things. Um, I know for my mother, it's very hard for her to explain to her friends like what her child does, <laughs> um, you know, or what she's learning. Um, they're like, that sounds intriguing. Like it's got bio in it. So they think it's, you know, some form of practicing oh, medicine, but they don't funny. know. But so I think it's so key because we are not well represented in that community. There's like Keisha Ray. There's a, uh, I'm going to remember her first name and not her last name is Dr. Roberta. I think it's, I'm not going to remember her last name off. I'll, I'll yell it out later. And then of course, everybody, I think every black a uh, medical professional knows Harriet Washington, right? Who mm-hmm. does medical apartheid. Um, but misinformation has been a bit of a keystone in medicine when when we start to look at it through the lens of the history of medicine and and especially black and brown bodies, Ooh. right? Oh, yes. And and so this is kind of the dark component of it is is like I think we've hit a place in modern times where it's an us, it's an us them, right? It's like there's the people who know science and the people who shun it or the people who have misinformation. But in the science world too, we haven't relinquished things like like the spirograph, you know, designers, like a spirometer. I think that's right. Like lung capacity. Yeah, for, lung that's capacity. not a thing. Like blackness is not biological. It's um, race is socialized. But that most of the time, your genetics are affected by your geographic location. So everybody in the United States has more in common genetically than Black people in the United States and people in Liberia. Like, we just, that's it. Um, Because, and that's affected by environment and food and um, who you're having children with, like, all of that. So in medicine, we also have to look in the looking glass and say, we've also been committing the sin of medical misinformation and disinformation sharing. Um, Creatinine levels. I I remember talking about this where you almost can't talk about the history of medicine as a whole without including how much misinformation and disinformation was tied to, to its advancements. Right. 
And I think that it's really unfair for us to be living in a, and then I think that's where there's kind of, that's the black eye in all of this rise in misinformation, disinformation, because we're not talking about just like random scam artists who have no touch point in science. We're talking about people who have chiro, you know, uh, doctorates of chiropractor uh, or chiropractic doctorates, or we're talking about DOs. We're talking about MDs. We're talking about people who, especially a good, component of the folks who profit mm-hmm. off of disinformation, the way that they're able to build such a profoundness around themselves is their licensure, is having been in the medical establishment, is saying that they've Talk gone rogue and they reject it. Talk to them. Let's go. I, um, again, remember, let's learn. Y'all, y'all know me, let's learn to me. Y'all know I have no problem putting names behind bullets, right? So <laughs> you know uh, we were not going to you know, kind of skid off and not talk about how there's a lot of people with degrees that are just are like who are who should be just in the line of fire when we talk about this misinformation. Because uh, you said it best. Like this isn't some Joe Blow who's sitting behind their computer anonymous. This is a person who went to this school, went to this school, went to this residency, got this degree and is now telling you information that is patently uh, incorrect. Yeah. And we understand this about lawyers. We understand this about law. And I I don't want to I don't want to paint with a wide brush and say that we should put every doctor, every MD or DO under or, you know, physician's assistant or nurse under the microscope. Right. And question their credibility. But what I am saying is, is that oh, no, I, are, now if you if you don't want to jump <laughs> out there, I'm OK. <laughs> but but credentialing does give us the opportunity. And unfortunately, I can be one of two with when we when we pair it with social media, especially, right? I can do one of two things. I can either be honest and have integrity in my in my work and and become moderately middle class, or I can use it to become ostensibly wealthy, a mid-level millionaire or more mm. by selling supplements. Or, I mean, my favorite examples are are people like Dr. Oz and the sweeping amount of nurses that use TikTok during yes. the pandemic to to sell to hawk wares. Mm-hmm. I mean, Dr. Oz was a talented heart surgeon, but moderate. Yep. He owned two houses. You know, it, as far as heart surgeon goes, he made what most cardiothoracic surgeons would make. You know, nine hundred thousand dollars a year, whatever, which is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. For most people who don't work in medicine, um, but now he owns twenty six homes. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> because he was able to have a TV show where he promoted all sorts of nonsense items. Red, There's red even beans. medical pers- like he used to promote these beans. Ugh, like every other month, he was promoting some type of beans. Oh yeah, it was always beans, right? Exactly. Always- oh yeah. Which is harmless to some extent, but the truth of the matter is, is that when you're 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 getting in front of people and saying I'm a cardiothoracic surgeon and you should eat these beans and you're intonating that you should eat these beans and they will cure your cancer yep. or you should eat these beans and this is the thing your cancer your uh your um oncologist isn't telling you oh yes you're right. sowing people are buying your beans but at the risk of breaking up with their oncologist yep. and that's just not so so okay. you're sowing those seeds of doubt and you're doing it because you have that degree uh, attached to your name. And for a lot of people, that degree is enough. For a lot of people, that degree is enough to say, okay, if they got this degree, 
they wouldn't be telling me to, you know, jump off a cliff. So I got to believe them. And unfortunately, a lot of people are being told to jump off cliffs, you know, you know, habitat. And social media has like, like hyper driven that right to the point where I can like what Dr. Oz was able to do to build up his wealth over the course of like almost 20 years of like being, you know, being picked out by Oprah and then having his own show and like having this kind of slow climb to millionaire status people have been able to hyperdrive it on things like TikTok, and we've even seen it we've seen people who were doctors i mean i'll i'll use it, some of these account for as examples it's like dr mike i think is one of them that people became mm-hmm. really incensed by because he got to a place where he hit like five hundred thousand plus followers and suddenly He's kind of promoting, like, first of all, fat phobia to some extent, right? And not giving the science of adiposity, (laughs) which is really unfair. Um, And then there was some, I don't remember because I didn't chase it down, but there was, like, a lot of back and forth about how he was giving some strange information around, I don't know if it was vaccines or something else, but he had started to kind of take a weird turn now that he had like the successful YouTube channel and the successful TikTok, there's another um, doctor who equally has gotten large on TikTok. Um, and he started uh, like a supplements company, was not revealing that and mm-hmm. was was duetting the videos from that supplements company and oh, affirming look oh, look at that. that they were liver t- like detoxifying supplements. <laughs> and it's just like, but when they could see that they could monetize yep. in a way that they could never do just having patients come into their office, mm-hmm. the money becomes seductive. And Definitely. you could sit here and say, well, telling somebody to take beetroot powder isn't harmful. Sure, it's not inherently, but it is if somebody thinks that the beetroot powder and you know better than, again, an oncologist. Right. Chemotherapy. You know what's interesting? You know, I want I want to kind of get your opinion on it. Do you, and especially because you talked about how historically medicine misinformation has been there, disinformation has been there. Do you think there's been an amplification of it, especially obviously in with your and the reason why I ask is because you're and, and like I said, I'm, I'm like I'm jealous, right? Because you're in the lens of the active thinker. You're in school right now, learning on it as to go. So I, 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 when I try to look back and say, man, like, is are they really going off much more than they used to be, or am I just now paying attention to it? Um, yes and no. What I will say is, is that because there's two things that have happened, right? Is that there is so much space that we can get information from, which lends us to be able to access good information, which is why I take. So I gave those examples, those first two. Um, medical professionals as as examples of like what's happening on TikTok and how dangerous that is, right? But then like you and I exist on TikTok, right? You know, and so that's that's what's important to note is that the tools of misinformation disinformation are accessible to all of us. Prior, mm. especially for um, distributability, I'm gonna say I think that's the word. Um, um, you and I would not have had the access. So the best example is for like the one of the very first well-developed vaccines um, utilizing a live virus when we talk about fighting smallpox with cowpox, right? right? 
and injecting people with live cowpox virus to stage off smallpox. Uh, there was a number of media entities that media specifically being like, you know, publications that did all, you know, were like, you're going to turn into cows and, um, you're the, you know, the doctors are trying to kill us. And, you know, this is something they, they got racist at one point where it was like, you know, this is something they, you know, voodoo they learned from, mm-hmm. you know, the dark African continent. That was always my favorite one. Um, right. Very Joseph Conrad. But like this idea that, but doctors had no, they would have to then fight this by being able to get onto a platform that distributed published material um, because that you're talking about back before there's even like a radio, you know? Right. Yeah, so right. fighting disinformation was harder because a printed publication could get into a small town at the edge of, you know, whatever country or state or wherever you're in, you couldn't necessarily get there. Yep. Now, currently you and I can, I can reach people all the way in California. I can reach people all the way in Austria. I can reach whoever. And just as widespread as the disinformation can go. Um, But the speed at which it can be passed along is that's part of the problem is the supercharge behind it. You and I are sitting here and having this conversation. Um, Let's say we roughly end at my time, Eastern standard around nine 15. I could open my phone and see that a video that was posted at 8.07, when we, right before we started, has gotten over 500 share, 500,000 shares, mm-hmm. 100,000 likes, and it's still climbing. And it's talking about, you know, the cow, the smallpox vaccine is going to turn you into a cow. Right. I and could make some, a video. Someone's probably going to clip that and say, you see what you see what they're talking about on the lunch later? Right. <laughs> That too, right? The misrepresentation of the media, because I can cut this down any sort of way uh, and use any sort of soundbite I want to prove my point. I could make a video at 9.16 and post it by 9.27 saying this is wrong. And it's totally up to and totally dependent upon an audience to, first of all, share it, Mm -hmm. to like it, to share it, to engage with it. My video, maybe it hits 100,000 likes, but it might take it three days. Yeah. And it doesn't go to the same people because of the design of the algorithm. So the hypercharge, because by the time you fought one, you know, concept you got, of, of you disinformation, you got seven more behind it. And because they often overlap with anti-Semitism, definitely with racism, um, with uh, homophobia, with transphobia, uh, HIV stigmas in there. I mean, they just mm-hmm. really they always kind of dump out at this sort of like horrible sludge sewer of the worst possible beliefs that we've had and been regurgitating for to the end of time ever. I mean, biblical, you know, it it, it Um, was so tough to, especially, especially when you're on our side, like, like imagine, right. You like, you picked your lane, like, Hey, you know what? I'm gonna fight misinformation, disinformation. I'm talking about HIV. I'm talking about COVID. And you're trying to catch all of the fastballs that are hitting from you just from, you know, negative campaigning, just from that, that you don't even have time to see that. Oh, you know what? Guess what they said about this? Guess what they said about that? And, and right. I find a lot of my content creators, my, my, my colleagues, they sometimes get frustrated by that because they want to talk about what's happening over there. 
but they're so they're so focused in and and having to deal with all of the strife that's coming from this way here that then all right that misinformation shoots by me oh that's another one that oh i, I couldn't catch that i couldn't catch that i couldn't catch that so i i, I sometimes we we feel kind of um uh, uh uh disempowered right we feel disempowered because we can't like reach and grab all of them um because it's sometimes it's too much there's also been a really great article that i read for my thesis talking about the internet and health and so prior to the internet healthcare was very private the the conceptually how we experienced healthcare was very intimate uh if you were my doctor health my health was between me and you yep it wasn't really common for somebody to tell everybody that they had diabetes or they had hypertension or they had bad blood or any terminology people used that were colloquially. Um, It was usually something that was kept to themselves. Frequently people wouldn't even know somebody was sick until they passed away because Mm -hmm. you would do be, you would be sick at home and you would be visited by your doctor and your family would know if they were caring for you. And that was sort of it. The internet did something really amazing both positive and negative, where it suddenly made our health public forum. Yep. And what and and what that has done is for people who deal with chronic illness, especially disability, this has given them a sense of not being ostracized, right? Because if I was the only parent in a small town with a child with Down syndrome, I could be made to feel by my, you know, neighbors that I somehow caused this child's, you know, chronic uh this, their disorder, their diagnosis. But now I can find other parents that they're like, nope, this is normal. This is an anomaly that happens with, with birth and with, you know, bearing children. We have a child who has Down syndrome. There's a spectrum. There's a community. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. You but- know, it's so fun that you said, because like, because our daughter, uh, daughter and my son uh, is autistic. My wife's actually autistic as well, too. And uh, we we started this organization, Autism in Black, right? Because we we recognize just how much strife we were going through as you know professionals in trying to diagnose our child with autism. We we're like, all right, if us who are you know I'm I'm a physician, you know she's a counselor. If we're going through leaps and bounds and of battles, I can't imagine what the rest of our community is going through. So we ended up, you know, we started this organization and it was like you said, like you started and all of a sudden the reaction, like, oh, my God, thank you. I, like I've been missing. I've, I've needed this. I've, I've wanted this because so many people feel like they were alone prior to mm-hmm. someone recognizing, say, hey, I have this organization that only focuses on us. So I'm, I'm, that is such a great point when, when you kind of mention how beneficial uh, the internet has been because it it's it's allowed us not to feel like all right we are the only ones in Timbuktu or whatever right dealing with this. Uh, there's a lot of people and they feel the same way. They've gone through the same experiences, and, and I've I've talked about this in the with like my physician colleagues and I've actually done some lectures on it. It's even changed kind of the doctor patient relationship. That whereas, whereas before, if you needed health information, I was the only person you came to. Right. And, and, and now when you need health information, I, I may still be the only person you come to, or right. You go to the internet or you go to friends and family and groups. Like, so it, it definitely has shifted. And I know a lot of my physician colleagues who, who sometimes find difficulty with that. They, they call them 
uh, Google patients, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, like, oh, these patients are, you know, they live on Google, they live on WebMD. And I'm like, hey, if they're, if they're searching information, you just got to be right there to correct them when they search the wrong one. So, right. And so this is what it's done is right, is that the internet has now made it so there is a third entity in the room with a doctor and a patient. Now, personally, again, as a black patient, I think that's super important because I think that it would be remiss after hundreds of years of um, such deeply systemic racism mm-hmm. for a black or brown person or a BIPOC person to go into a doctor and implicitly trust them in their training, even if that person looks like them, you know, yeah. because I agree. Because like we said in the beginning, medicine still holds a lot of misinformation and disinformation around black and brown bodies. But that third entity in the room means that it is eroded that patient doctor, that patient healthcare uh, or health professional relationship in a way that is hard, that is ever being eroded instead of being um, strengthened. Mm. And that's also very dangerous too, because, because like if I if I find community of other parents who have Down syndrome, and so now I know that like a witch didn't curse me or what because there's lots of things that people just believed prior to being able to find community, mm-hmm. and that I find that this is normal, I can from that community be like, well, my doctor said it's because a witch cursed me. Have any of you heard this? And other people in that group could say, no, that is that is terrible information. Let me give you the name of a better doctor, which is one of the number one ways the internet is used and this person will help you out. Now that yeah. is great. They'll find you another one. Getting your, your, your child and you the best information. But on the flip side, like what you're talking about, that I'm sure your colleagues are experiencing is I go to my doctor and they say, well, Down syndrome is caused by these factors. It's a genetic anomaly. It, it happens in this way, but you also will need to make sure that your child gets a uh, consistent care around, um, uh, cardio health, like a uh, cardiac health, because there is issues around blood pressure. There's issues around cardiac arrest. Uh, that it, there's other health outcomes with Down syndrome, uh, depending on where on the spectrum that a child is or a person is. And they go back to their com- their community and they say, "Have you heard this about you know Down syndrome?" And that community could say, "Oh no, it's because a witch cursed you." Like, mm-hmm. and in order to remove the curse, you have to go to Ursula, the other sea witch, and like. And that's where that doctor is just like pounding their skull on a table being like, I, I, and so when you go back in and say like, well, my community who have children who are down syndrome said, this is a witch that cursed me and you're hiding it from me because you want to sell me. You want to, you're in, you want to sell me the supplement. You want to, you want to sell me stuff and they are going to send me lavender oil to remove the curse for twenty nine ninety five. But here you are wanting to me wanting me to get all these expensive tests on my child yearly to check their heart health when I could just remove the curse. Why aren't you just telling me about the curse? That's where it becomes it just unravels. Um, so these communities are good that people don't feel alone. But then how do you make sure they don't become a runaway train in the wrong direction? And I think that's I think your colleagues are probably especially dealing with like that. I don't think it's wrong that people are empowered patients though and have stronger questions. You know, they want to be more um challenging. Definitely. You know? And I, and I like and I've always been weird. Like I, you know, my motto, like empower yourself for better health, right? Like I want I want my patients asking me questions and, and especially if they're like, all right, doc, I, I heard this, I read this. 
what do you think? I love that because like, okay, oh, good. Because I know if we can both kind of get to that destination together, right, you're going to be more likely and more compliant to do the things I want you to do versus me just kind of like, you know, browbeating you and saying, you need to do this because of the school I went to, because of the journal I just read. Um, it, it typically is, uh, and I, especially for our community, I, I feel like it's usually much easier uh, if we both come to the destination versus me. Because mm-hmm. I, and I, I'll be honest, I tell people, y'all, I know y'all assume I'm the enemy. I 100% with that. Like I'm, I'm a part of the system that did a lot of atrocious things. And I want you to keep that. Right. And I, I don't want you to like, I, I'm not going to sit here and act like, oh, but yeah, that happened before me. Don't worry. Like, no, I, I have to eat that. So I need you to trust me and understand that I'm not going to let what happened continue to happen. And it's, and trust me, it's, it's, it's much easier said than done. I, I get, I get to assure you, because uh, it's still a battle. I still fight uh, on a daily basis. It takes some deafness and it takes some, it takes patience and it takes, it takes affirming. One of the things that I've learned in researching and trying to understand people's consumption of, of disinformation and misinformation and conspiracy theories is that they are, they experience an intensity of fear and anxiety around health. Uh, when we're talking about it specifically in health and um, and health information. And I think it's fair to affirm that. I think the first place that a lot of folks go wrong is denying them that reality. It is scary to be diagnosed with hypertension. It is scary to be living in a world where there is a deadly virus that we can get from breathing on each other. All of that is scary. And the first step of affirming that and and then also affirming that the the entities, the institutions that are entrusted to get us through those moments are also scary and not well understood. I I have I probably used over a hundred different resources for my paper. My paper comes to roughly about 70 pages. Oh nice. first of all. It's a cliff notes of over a hundred reference articles and research uh, projects and everything and, and books and a number of things. And even it is dense and long. I understand why somebody's like, I, I don't know if I can trust that. It's too hard. It's mm. you can't consume everything. Just like if you tried to explain to me how you put my car together, I would blank out quite yeah. honestly. And I'm respectful of that with mechanics, you know, that they, I have to trust them ultimately. They're going to get me from point A to point B. But uh, do I check to, to make sure they charge? Right. Shout out to the mechanics. Shout out, I mean, you get car. You, you tell me you need to put like some wood thing and steps. or what? I, I don't know. I'm not. Hey. You tell me you cut out the floor and I got a fled, Fred Flintstone in. I believe you. I don't know. Right. But... <laughs> I, will I go to the internet and ask the internet, like, is, am I getting charged the right amount for my fan belt? You know, like I, I still, I, because I, I am fearful that I'm being taken advantage of, or I'm fearful that because, so it's like you said, it's a fine line. It's a fine dance. I think um, being able to point people to resources, having resources ready to give to them and say, you don't have to believe me. You can look at these things. I think the best part about medical professionals more and more having um, social media, especially a TikTok, which is video 
video specific, is saying, you can look at these three accounts. They have a playlist on hypertension. You can DM them and ask them if I gave you the right information. I want you to. Yeah. I want you to. But making sure we put them, we put people on the right research path. It's okay. For, I think I think sometimes a lot of medical professionals want to take the researching element away from their patients and be like, stop Googling things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I'm like, no, you can Google thing, Google things, but know that there's a difference between, you know, are they telling the truth.net and um, you know, like else Elsevier posting a journal article. Um, or, you know, the AMA. Exactly. Or and that's that's how like how do we get them to recognize the right resources or how do we get them to um, react with it, interact with the, with good information, I think is really the key. I'm so, I'm so, I'm so glad you said that because it, it leads right. Like I said, this has been a great discussion, y'all. How do you, especially, obviously I know you're, 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 you're almost at the finish line. You've read, you said hundreds of articles, case studies, and everything else. How do you reconcile with the information that's out there, understanding the the preconceptions someone may have on a topic, let's say HIV, let's say COVID, whatever, and, and still having to try to, I guess, kind of, I don't want to say move them off their pivot and say, hey, like, like that conspiracy theory or that video you saw on that TV show or that blog you just read, it ain't it. This is what it is. Like, like how how have you um, been able to? And like I said, like I said, because I follow you, I know how you have it too. But like, how have you been able to kind of reconcile uh, being being the person that has to try to move people off the pivot? I think, um, and and you know, I I feel shout out to my advisor, Professor Nicole Strand, because uh, she just like followed me into this rabbit hole. Like she was, and then also our uh, the entire uh, department head. Um, Dr. Nora Jones, because they did not at any point tell me like, you're doing too much, but they probably could have. And that's because I actually decided I didn't want to explore. I thought it was too narrow to say how much, how do like a meta analysis of research reports on um, misinformation, medical misinformation specifically. I said, I want to understand all the ways that misinformation, disinformation, conspiracy theories affect our health. Remember, I work in public health. So I want to look at the environment that this becomes, this takes really tense hold of. Um, And this meant that I had to bring together research that was kind of staccato, right? That was very myopic and then stitch them together to make them make sense. So I had to read like Homeland Security terrorist reports. Um, I had to read... Um, interesting. Re- <laughs> interesting. <laughs> Domestic terror is really on. Oh, it's bad out here. Um, I had to read um report digital and technology uh disinformation misinformation reports. I had to read um like uh ethics report reports like uh that are on like AI. Like I had to do all of these things because I wanted to say, here's all the ways that this affects our health and makes it harder for us to know and understand our health. And I think that has been the thing that's helped me understand it because I'm not just simply saying like, okay, well, I did, I decided to not bother to learn 
about all the misinformation, disinformation, and conspiracy theories that were out there. That's kind of, I don't want to say a waste of my time. That's just like not me. There's a really great, um, there's a really great creator on uh, TikTok who does delve into that. Like that's her jam is, I think she's like topography or topography on uh, TikTok. She actually like explains the conspiracies, right? I was like, you know what? I don't, that's not what I want to know. I want to know why people consume it, how people consume it, how it changes their behavior, how it changes how they consume information. How does it change public policy? How does it change how doctors do research and information, right? What's the environmental effect uh, or the societal effect? Um, and it, I broke, I ended up coming to the idea that it was seven different categories or six different categories, roughly. And that was that the obvious one right? Health, health literacy and understanding information, consuming it and like scientism and understanding how people, how, and like technophobia. Um, but it also, disinformation makes us physically unsafe. It's, it's a, it's a big driver of violence in communities, yes. right? Domestic terrorism. Um, a lot of what you see with uh, school shootings, right? Um, or just mass shootings uh, because it makes people agitated, Right. Uh, it has an erosion on on mental health, both communal mental health and individual mental health, right? So it's doing something to our minds. It affects public health policy. I think we see that especially with how bad legislation has been coming out that has been truly health legislation. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. say what you want spiritually about abortion. Right. Exactly. It I, is, I, know, I know you're going to, and I wanted to, I've been... Yeah, I'll let you go. But plenty of medical professionals, even even people who are pro-life, and I, I usually I like to say anti-abortion instead of pro-life because yeah, that's me, the first level of disinformation. I don't like to give them that. You're well, it's, it, they, they've run a disinformation campaign for 40 years. They've done a great job. Why didn't we as a medical community immediately interrupt those images of of fetuses when we knew that that wasn't a fetus at five months, five weeks, we knew that we knew those images were wrong. We knew that it's like a cluster of cells that looks no different than if I skinned my knee, we didn't interrupt. Right. And so, but now you I I think it was because we just thought, Oh, they'll know better than that. They don't, they won't believe that. And they'll believe us, the scientists. No, no, they won't. We we overbought into the idea of like the mar- the marketplace of ideas. Like we over we've we drunk that Kool Aid too deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, that like the best idea will just naturally float to the top. It doesn't. The most exciting idea, the most promoted idea, the most beneficial financially idea does. Oh, you're talking. You're talking tonight. You're talking tonight. Oh. We don't have a we don't have a natural propensity towards integrity. That's not. I hate to say that. The nature of humanity chooses most people choose integrity when they think something has integrity to it but that's just not it's not a natural propensity for us to just know what's the most the thing with the most integrity in this lineup right especially if i'm being misled um and i think that's so that's what's important because we're seeing a these attacks, and I would I would add in a lot of the trans legislation too. For instance, mm-hmm. my favorite one is the um, legislation being passed around puberty about puberty blockers puberty, for yeah. children. Yep. The strongest users of puberty blockers for children are children, particularly uh, children who are assigned female at birth, 
who develop too early. I mean, we're talking about like a seven-year-old who starts their period and there's a, a real disorder with their um, their uh, reproductive organs and their hormonal setting. They need puberty blockers. A seven-year-old can't wear a tampon. Like it's just, and there's a lot of safety issues to them, right? Blocking the use of puberty blockers in an attempt to stop five children in your state from getting gender-affirming care. Even if I decide to relinquish my progressive values around that and say that those children deserve that care too, I'm still putting out really bad, dangerous healthcare policy mm-hmm. that is going to make children sick. That's going to make it, uh, trying to block all forms of abortion care means there are people who are not getting medicine that helps them with their congenital heart failure because there are congenital heart failure medications yep. the same that are abortifacients. And we're not giving those to people who are of reproductive carrying age now in some states because, and you have to get special clearance. In the mean, in the meantime, missing a dose could put you in a cardiac arrest. So this is how disinformation affects us. And I think explaining it from that angle of helping people understand the that level of risk has been more effective than trying to like just um, challenge or uh, disagree or um, over explain why a That's certain wrong. content is, is wrong. Yeah. And that I, still makes me I, elitist. Yep. yep. I love it. And, uh, and I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but like you, you said it right on the head because I think that's really the next step we really have to take is we're so much on the defensive when we like we we should be running up the score, but we're constantly on the defensive having to argue against this fight against this. Like anytime something happens, COVID related, COVID vaccine related, those that other side keeps tagging me. Like if if mm-hmm. I wasn't up to date on COVID related news, they would make sure I stay updated on COVID related right. news just to see if it's a gotcha moment. Right. And and I'm very keen on like ah, I see what you're doing here. I'm not paying you no type of mind, right? Because because then you're on you're on the offensive. You're kind of controlling uh, uh, the game plan. So I, I love the fact that you said no. Like we have to obviously explain to the population, hey, this is what the nitty gritty that's happening. And I'm not going to necessarily speak to that specifically, but if I explain to you here, you're going to be able to kind of connect the two. Well, it's the difference between playing the dozens with someone and explaining to everybody who's circled around you chanting fight why it's in, why it's why this person wants us to why this person wants to fight, right? Um, or that they will fight anybody here because they're being paid by a kid in high school to fight as many of these elementary school people as pop. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's the, it's that moment in uh, the wizard of Oz when, you know, Toto's like runs behind the curtain and realize that there's like a, there's a wizard, you know, and the wizard is this guy with like this contraption that's making this huge, like hologram. Like I think too much of us, like you said, are on the defensive and are overly emotional. And what we end up doing is we end up just being like, I know you are, but what am I? Or we're like, we're, 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 we're throwing your mama jokes back and forth. You know, like right. your mama's so dumb. She, you know, I told her it was chilly. She went and got a bowl. Your mama's so, like, it, <laughs> that's, that's like, that's useless. Cause that's going one at a time, one, oh, at, a time, one at a time. I think my public health lens, like you said, your MPH helps you look at the environment of your 
individual patient. That's what I want to do for for misinformation, disinformation, and conspiracy theories. I I don't want to go bad piece of content by bad piece of content by video by video by video. I don't want to explain how this is wrong. What I want to explain is what someone's doing. What I want to explain is the technique they're using. What I want to explain is how you can see this for yourself. I think the edu- fortifying or sharpening everybody's abilities to identify the problem mm-hmm. means I don't have to be there at every, every time a new concept comes out. You know, like there's 5G uh, yeah, nanoparticles in the vaccine that they're shooting into us to track us to for population control. I can't. I can't unpack that. It's right. just that's going to exhaust. That's, me. Yeah, that's like you, uh, they. They didn't went. They didn't went all the way off the hill. I'm not. I'm not chasing them over there. I can't. I. I. I would run out of time on this earth. But if I can teach the little thirty five thousand people that follow me, every time you see somebody say this. It's because they actually are promoting a product. It's mm-hmm. because they're actually using this pseudoscience, you know, terminology that we've let go of there. And it has this history. People have been really appreciative of that. And one of the things that I've been really enjoying see- seeing people do is instead of tagging me into things and being like, you know, get them, Evan, they're, they're sort of, they'll tag me in and, and say something like, is this a form of, 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 of cognitive dissonance is this a form of mm. uh, cognitive closure? Is is this a good example of a master of a uh, um, uh, master of illusion? Like, and I can see them exercising the identifying skill, and I try to catch those as much as possible so that I can respond and say, like, yeah, you did a that's a great you did exactly that in this video. You found it. I don't have to make a whole video and like unpack that person and like read them for filth. Just seeing my followers like point out, like, I I think this is what you were talking about when you were talking about scientism. And I'm like, yes, like, good, keep going and show somebody else while you're at it. You know, like I trying to make that element, the virus, if that makes sense. Exactly. I agree. And, and, And don't get it twisted. You, you guys who are on the other side, we can read for filth. Like we can, don't. When we're bored, we can go, but it, it, it's it's just not the best use of our time. Like it, it just isn't. And I, I like I said, I was, you know, I, I was so amazed just kind of watching your content, um, because you just do such a phenomenal job at at not only speaking, not only speaking, and especially in a in a at a level that I know the general public will get, but even those who understand exactly what you're saying, like, oh, yep, yep, she's breaking it down. Yep, that's exactly, that is exactly how I would have said that. That's exactly how you're supposed to run with that. So that's why I'm such a fan of your content because I know that if I was in the general public, didn't, you know, strip all my medical information and I was just looking for information, you would be like, okay, I can follow, I can follow her. I want you to understand it's it's funny because one of the things I, I love hearing you say that because when when I first started out and I started to get a little bit of following, I think I had somewhere around like 19, 18, 19,000 followers, 20,000 followers. And I had a uh, another person on TikTok. I won't say that they were a creator because they were like under, you know, 
like 800 followers, um, but they were getting a PhD in misinformation and disinformation and like journalism, right? So it's a different world. And one of the things that they, I mean, they seemed like the middle of the night kind of like went on a tangent on one of my videos. They just, and one of the things I, I really pride myself too is managing my content in a way where if you went to the comments, you also aren't activated. That there's you what a curious thing that people have pointed out to me is like I'll have 600 comments on a video, none of them are like this is stupid, you're stupid, you know, die in a fire or whatever, like right. or, or people being like this person's a liar, or like whatever, or all of you here are dummy. Like there's no there's no like mansplaining, there's no like well actually there's it's it's people having an honest conversation about the issues. Um, because I I make very I do as much curation as I possibly can in the comments. And this guy just went on a tangent and he was like, you know, this isn't like, you know, you're not presenting anything new or creative here. You're not, um, you're, you're, you know, this is not unknown. Like he was kind of like really incensed at the fact that I wasn't presenting like creative thoughts. Um, and I was like, well, my creative thought is reserved for, and I, I don't say this to be minimizing academic spaces. Yes. Yes. You said, I'm glad, so glad you said that. I don't need to present an original idea to a general public. I need the general public to learn. My my goal or my ultimate dream is that like one day I'll sign on to TikTok and I can delete my account because everybody has met me in terms of their knowledgeability and their ability to understand the issue. And then I can just walk off into a sunset and go, you know, sit on a beach. We are doing a disservice when we are the gatekeepers of the super important information. And so, th- but this made this, this, this person, this, this, uh, you know, I'm not going to say student. Cause they were it sounds sense. They were like, Oh, what are you doing? Yeah. He was, he was, ve- I mean, he was really mad that I, I was just regurgitating, you know, uh, what I was learning and I, and like kind of, building a following behind it and i was like and and that i was oversimplifying it too because his content was very didactic and yeah. i was like you're not you're not taking off because you want to be the smartest guy in the room i want to be i want to have the most ubiquitous information i want everyone to understand and that's because the biggest challenge to disinformation and misinformation but the biggest fight you can put up is raising people's health literacy, yep. making people more literate. I he he sort of like really was mad at me as a creator that I was not cre- like making content that made me the all made me Sauron, you know. And I'm like, Definitely. and that that's what gets my like my colleagues uh, in trouble all the time, and because they'll ask me because you know because um, I do like I do social media a lot, and they'll be like, all right, how are you able to do? Like when I try to do it, I don't really, I say, well, like when I hear you, I get bored. Right. And you're, you're, you're talking like you're talking to me at a conference, the, you know, presenting a poster, right? Like that's not going to get it. Like, yeah, the general public does not care where, um, where you did poster. They do not care where you did your residency. They just want to know, all right, is this person talking to me and making some sense that I can kind of take back to my family set at the table? Like if you're not doing that, you you could talk all day. Like it's not, it's not, it's gonna go over my head every time. And that's because I've done outpatient medicine, inpatient medicine, rehab medicine. That is the worst situation to be in when you're talking to your patient 
And they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you just know all the information you're saying going right over them. Yeah, you could be, I don't care if you're the smartest person in the I don't I don't care. It took me a long time, and I think I, I will say as someone who was assigned female at birth, I will say as a as a black person, it took me a long time to have the humility to not feel I had to perform intelligence to the level that isolated me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like I, I certainly could walk away and have been the smartest person at that table, but for what, for what? Because nobody could talk to me or with me. They could only listen to me talk at them or they could zone out. Yeah. And in medicine, it's not useful. It's not useful. It's useful, like you said, at a conference. That's the only place it's useful is at a conference or when you're submitting to some obscure journal that is read by 8,000 people, all of whom have the same niche interest as you. And like, I love that for you. If you want to be an academic, go there. Live on, I salute you. Be behind those high, tall walls. But social media is not the place for that. Um, I'm very clear with people. And I'm very confident in the fact that like, I have this TikTok because I decided to do this after work, (laughs) you know, like put my content on the, I'm in a beanie and a sweatshirt, you know, and I'm not going to change that about my content. Um, But I'm also, you know, don't get it twisted. I'm also like a highlighted presenter and highlighted um, professional with like HRSA and the federal government. Like they respect my work um, and have been very keen on promoting it. So, but that's again in a conference with a bunch of professionals who all had the foundational information around HIV. So, of course, I could get into all that I know. I have done research work. I my first research project was at 16 with the Frederick Readers Institute. You know what I mean? That that's a that's a really reputable thing. Uh, yeah, if I if I, go I don't need CV, to do that on TikTok. A problem. Like that's that's what you're telling us. If I go through my CV, it would be a problem for y'all. So don't. Don't talk to me crazy. Yeah, you would get harmed. But like, why do I need to do that on TikTok where like I'm going to be on an FYP that simultaneously has like people making their favorite sandwich recipe and like dancing teenagers like or, or, I don't need feeding, to do that. or feeding their dogs the most amazing food like so like so like shout out, first of all, shout out to TikTok like but y'all dog owners. Who be feeding y'all, y'all dogs the most? I'm, I'm like, y'all, y'all Elaborate. good. <laughs> Beautiful salads. Uh, that's what I'm competing with. Is, is I'm I'm media. I'm media. Right. And so if I'm trying to get to people because I am using TikTok as a tool in medicine, if I'm using it as a tool in medicine, I have to know what I'm competing with. I'm not competing, like you said, with other posters yeah. where people are like in the P450 system, the way that Lorraine Pam moves through. I'm sure that girl's there, but she's not doing well. Yep. On TikTok, people are going to be swiping through and I have to compete with people like dancing, people making beautiful meals for their dogs. I have to compete with uh, political opinion and punditry. Like there's a lot I have to compete with Um, and also in my niche. So Mm -hmm. I need to make it consumable. I need to make it interesting. I need to make it feel if I'm not going to do a bunch of cuts and slides and have all this like production to it, then I need to make it feel like it's a two homies having a chat. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I appreciate that, that compliment that you give where you're like, if I was just sitting at home at the dinner table, swiping through, I could consume your content. That's, that's, that's the point. That's, that's what I want so badly. I don't need to use all mine. And if I use a big word or when I use 
more extensive language. You see me define it. It's like yeah, very yeah, you explain it. Yeah, it's like I said, definitely, def- definitely one, uh, definitely a, a person to follow. Um, like, like I said, I just like I, I was floored. I was like, oh yeah, this is this is it right here. This 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 is the guest. I said this is the, this is the first guest of 2023, y'all. I I, I just knew it. I like I, I pushed guests back. I'm like, hey, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I had to move this guest. Like you'll probably be down later on the month. Next <laughs> June, month. right? Like I, I, I gotta get, I gotta get this one so we we take off, right? So before before I let you go, before I let you go, tell the people again how to find you, and if there's only... words you got for them, <laughs> the floor is yours. I only have one social media account. Um, if you find me on Instagram, I don't use it. I haven't posted on there in years. I can't get into it. So best of luck. You will be sitting in request forever. It's it's closed. It's private. I don't use it. So the only place I'm at is on TikTok. It's at gay, G-O-V-T, or no, gay, G-Town, so G-T-O-W-N, Bay, B-A-E. Or you can just search Evan, E-V-N, the parentheses, bioethicist, close parentheses around bio. And if you're um, watching this on YouTube, listen to this on a podcast, it will be in the description. So you'll just be able to click, boom. And go and take you right there. That's the only thing I have. I'm not planning on doing a YouTube video. I know people have been like, well, what happens if TikTok is taken away? Then I'm gone. I'm sorry. Yeah. I can't do it. I can't. This is, I, I told you in the beginning, um, <clears throat> before we started recording, this was an accident, but here I am. Now I'm a creator. Now, because I, I know you're about to graduate, and I should have asked before I said, before I let you go. Um, when you graduate, like, is, is the, is are do you still plan on making content? Or was the was the content a part of the thesis creation? Okay, because I don't you know I don't have a thesis. I I got a master's. I was like, um, was it a part of that? Did it intertwine, or was it just kind of like while I'm doing this, I might as well kind of turn the camera? Off? It was it was a it was a little of the second right, but now. Um... No, I like doing it. I'm still like, even though my thesis is finished, um, I've already been, uh, I've already been propositioned to publish um, a section of it. So I still need to do even more reading, even more density um, around it. I'm still consuming this information because <clears throat> I use it for work. So there, I'm never going to run out of uh, material. <laughs> I'll say yeah, definitely, for definitely TikTok, not. definitely not. I like doing it because it's kind of a low lift way that I'm social around my like interest in medicine. So it's definitely not going away. Even after I graduate, I'll just have more credentials to be able to, you know, floss about it. Um, And I have been asked to do several podcasts and I have been asked about the potential of conferences. So people like the thesis already. People are excited about the concept uh, because the way that I presented it was I said, I want to do for misinformation, disinformation, and conspiracy theories in public health, what reconceptualizing gun violence as a public health threat did. Mm. Because we've really started to think more critically about gun violence not just being a judicial or a criminal issue. It's about a community issue. It's about a health issue. It's about a mental health issue. I want to do that for misinformation, disinformation, and conspiracy theory. What can looking at these things tell us about people's health, their mental health, their physical safety, all of it? Um, and so people have been really intrigued and I loved that. And so, no, the, the content will keep happening um, post-graduation and there'll be other things for people to explore too, like this podcast as well. So I'm very excited to give that to folks. Um, and I just want to tell people to close it out <clears throat> that 
I want people to hold fast to their reticence. Like I want people to think critically about who they're getting information from. And I respect even if that's a medical professional. But I also want you to ask yourself when someone's giving you something for free, ask how they're getting paid for it. And I think that first question when it comes to information sharing is the best one. If someone's giving it away for free, how are they getting paid on the back end, right? Because it's not free. Um, social, we know social media is selling our data. So that's really important information. That's how they, they make their money. Someone telling you for free, hey, the medical establishment won't tell you this, but I will. What are they getting out of it? Because that's the grift, right? And that's how you get got. Oh, I love it. Again, uh, thank you for really blessing blessing the Medicine Monday watchers, Lunch Learn listeners, podcasters, YouTubers um, with just valuable information. And, and, and again, like I said, just knocked it out the park because no one's going to leave this episode not understanding exactly what went down with this episode. And that's, <laughs> and you can kind of see just kind of with the way I talk, my vernacular, I'm very common, just very just like, you know, slaying this like Cause I, I know the people who watch and listen to me, this is kind of how they absorb information. So um, I just appreciate you for taking the time uh, for blessing us. And, you know, we wish you all the best in all your future endeavors. I can't wait uh, to read a published article or go to a conference that I know you're speaking there. Cause I, I can already say that that's going to happen. Well, thank you. I'm really excited. I'm, thank you for having me on this podcast it is absolutely. Um, I can't, I can't explain the honor it is to have people in the medical community saying like, you're onto something. And like, we recognize that cause I'm a student, I'm a professional too, but like, I have a lot of insecurities around education and around knowledgeability that's for a you know that's for my therapist to, to unpack not in this podcast but i'm super super appreciative of people like yourself who are saying like i i work in this field this this you're onto something this is something um because sometimes i felt like i was like do people get it and so it's good that they're getting it thank you for getting to the end of the episode i am yours truly dr barry pierre favorite board certified internist like always remember to subscribe to the podcast leave us a five-star review and more importantly share this to at least two of the five of your friends and family members that you know that could be empowered with the words that you heard today again so appreciative of all you guys' support see you guys next week